On today's episode, overcoming your calf strains with Neil and Victoria. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. I love my new podcast intro. <laughs> it starts off exactly the same as what I usually do, but I've added in a few extra elements in there. So if you have just skipped forward, like I usually do with most of my podcasts, um, have a rewind back and listen to that new intro because I absolutely love it. It um, required some like reflection. I wanted to update the intro and uh, communicate as best as I can the mission of this podcast and what I'm trying to set out to do and just to inspire a lot of runners to come on this journey with me as well because it's my mission is to bring clarity and control to every runner and it's such a tough ask to do just on your own and while you're listening to this podcast you're actually gaining the information like you'd be surprised at how much um, a generic runner, how much, how many misconceptions and myths they do have and trying to break down those myths and then circulate it to the running community is tough to do on your own. So by default, you are gaining all of this. And once you are in a Facebook group or if you're seeing um, posts here and there and you want to start sharing this wisdom, that helps expand my mission as well. And it helps the whole running collective as a whole. So uh, I thought I'd try and communicate that as best as I could. And yeah, then this new podcast intro began. So I'm really pumped with how it turned out. I am getting a website, a new website developed and once that is um, live then I'll slap in the new outro that I do have as well but we'll keep the old outro for now. Overcoming your calf strains is today and there are a lot of runners who have repetitive calf strains and it can be particularly tricky and so that's what we discussed today. I joined forces with Neil and Victoria. They are the hosts of the new running podcast. It's called Running PTs and love their stuff. I was on their um, I appeared as a guest a couple of weeks ago and absolutely love their stuff. So thought I'd get them on and share a bit of the load so I didn't have to do a whole bunch of talking on calf strains. And yeah, we thought we'd take it away, do a bit of a round table format and it came out really nice. There's so much content. We go through like who's most susceptible to calf strains, what are the common symptoms, what actually causes it, and then pretty much to like the management to do from the first day onwards and make sure you're not missing any gaps in your management and then at the end we come up with a few really really useful preventative strategies so i hope you love it 
Without further ado, here is Neil and Victoria. Guys, welcome to the Run Smarter podcast. I have Neil and Victoria from Running PT's podcast. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks. Of course. Pleasure to be here. I thought we'd cover uh, calf strains because I haven't really done a calf strains episode yet and wanted to, specifically for those runners who have the recurrent calf strains and they're just so over it. But before we dive into the actual content, uh, I want the audience just to get to know you guys a little bit more. So um, can we start with you, Neil? Do you want to give us a little rundown of your background? Yeah, of course. Um, Born and raised in New York. I've been a PT here for the past two years. Uh, see a lot of runners, but also people of all sports and all kinds. Uh, no specific age range, I guess, or any specific demographic. Just your typical weekend warriors to like your triathletes. Cool. Victoria? Sorry. I, I'm really sorry. I actually missed the first part. It completely cut out for me. <laughs> oh, okay. We're up to the intros. Sorry. <laughs> do I just introduce yourself and um, yeah, oh, we'll, yeah, we'll take it from there. Perfect. Yeah, I'm Victoria. Um, I was living in New York for a little bit. Now I'm in Nantucket, kind of b- bouncing around during this quarantine. Um, yeah, I, I, I love working with runners. It truly is a passion of mine. Um, I have done my fair share of half marathons. Um, I was training for my first full marathon, um, which then got canceled probably about three weeks before, obviously during COVID. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to be, you know, talking, talking with any runner and, and yeah, that's pretty much a little bit of my background. Don't know if I forgot anything there. Well, no, it's good. And I think a lot of your passion for treating runners comes through because you're, you're delivering a lot of like useful content on Instagram and stuff. Um, Victoria, can you maybe just give us a brief uh, why you guys decided to start the podcast? Yeah, um, I think it really came from just our love of, you know, talking about anything running. So Neil and I met at actually at a running course um, in New York. And we both, you know, kind of got to talking. We both had similar interests. We both had similar treating patterns. Um, and then a couple months later, we we linked up and said, you know, it'd be really fun if we just met up and talked about all things running all the time. And as you know, you're, <laughs> you're probably similar to us um, in the sense that um, it, it's, it's really fun to do things like this because um, we get so much um, engagement from different runners. We get so many questions. And it really is just a good way to kind of get information out to um, any type of runner, novice, recreational, um, experienced. Um, and it's a fun way to just talk to, to other people and, and have guests on the podcast and get different opinions, just like you were on our podcast, Brody, which was fantastic. That was a great episode. Um, so it really just came from our shared love of running. Awesome. Very good. What I had planned for this episode was to do a bit of like a round table uh, theme, you call it around calf strains. And so we're going to pretty much just share our knowledge, combine what what we know, and hopefully the listener gets a lot of added value just having more more heads than one. So with calf strains, I want to start with... um, the population, like the the characteristics, demographics, who we usually see walk into clinics with these sort of calf strains, um, because it is one of those conditions which is kind of more tailored to a certain population. Um, so if whoever wants to take it away, maybe we'll, we'll just start there and see where it takes us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Neil. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't mind um, 
coming up on this verse, but I guess, honestly, I've seen calf strains in many different people. It almost doesn't feel as if it is a specific population for me. But one thing that I do notice is it's a lot of people who have done a ton of events in the past and have a ton of events coming up. And so typically it's it's that person who doesn't really take too many breaks um, throughout their yearly calendar of like running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right, Victoria. I feel I feel the same way, Neil, in the sense that it really could happen to anyone. I guess if we're looking, you know, specifically at the numbers, you know, what's in the research, you, you tend to see, you know, if you're a little bit older, like over the age of 40, um, I think they're more common in men as well, um, just from what I've seen treating, um, treating my runners. But definitely as you get older, um, especially because of the, you know, the tendon elasticity properties and the flexibility of the Achilles tendon and the, and the soft tissue. Um, I think that that, you know, that population is a little bit more at risk and then tend to see a little bit more, but kind of what you said, Neil, it's like that, that runner who's really been, who's been kind of through it and, and just all of a sudden one day, you know, feels the tightness in the calf and, and that's kind of how it starts. But how about you, Brody? What, what population? Yeah, totally agree. It, it, can happen to anyone and just because you're young and like Mm -hmm. strong that kind of thing it and you have some calf problems it doesn't mean it's not a calf strain because everyone can get it if you've like exceeded your load capacity but uh, i do get the same sense especially when it comes to recurrent calf strains i think it's more tended towards the the fourth to sixth decade, um, particularly mm-hmm. males. I'm not really sure why it's males over females. I think they might have a, a different propulsion strategy. But, um, yeah, I guess it's kind of a um, – you're fighting a bit of a battle as soon as you start becoming more advanced in age because you get, like, this um, decreased amount of strength. You're not – your your muscles start to slowly waste away. Mm-hmm. It's, like, up to you to try and preserve it as much as you can and build up as much strength as you can. But – uh, when it comes to, you know, when people are running in their 50s and their 60s, it's so hard to keep up with that, um, yeah, that trend of just like uh, slowly losing muscle mass and slowly losing elasticity, slowly losing tendon stiffness. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely see the recurrent calf strains are the ones that, like you were saying, Neil, it's like they haven't had a – they're not respecting a lot of the recovery time. And I do know a lot of the advanced age runners, they – uh, do need to respect more recovery and when they were young and um, more, had more spring in their step they could you know go day after day but it do- has been shown in the research that the older generations they need uh, up to two or three days to recover from a run and it just simply doesn't happen with those who are so passionate those recreational runners that always have races and they constantly want to be out there and they, they're just not respecting the the recovery uh, phase yeah Definitely agree. Mm. How about like, um, do you see many like types of runners uh, or like say terrain or like any demands or speeds or anything? Do you guys see any pattern with the the runners with calf strains? Yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely, you know, trail runners have just a little bit more, um, you know, uh, they, they have more tendency to develop maybe some kind of calf strain just because if you're running on uneven ground, that puts a higher demand on the foot, on the ankle. Um, and it's just much harder to kind of, 
you know, really stabilize that ankle. That being said, you know, hills um, are definitely a factor, just putting a little bit more strain on the ankle. Um, But again, it kind of goes back to what we've been saying is like, just because you're, you know, maybe if you train on flat ground every single day, doesn't mean that you're not going to develop a, a, <laughs> a calf strain. You know, it's, 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 it's definitely not like you're not at risk, um, but definitely higher risk I, I've seen from like trail runners and, and people who live in very hilly areas. How about mm-hmm. you, Neil? Yeah, I definitely agree. People who are definitely have to propulse themselves forward a little bit more would definitely have to use their calf uh, musculature a little bit more. But yeah, like as as you said too, anyone could get it, and a lot of it does depend on what their training experience is, and more or less what their history of injury is. So people would be more disposed or more prevalent to it than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. I don't need to add anything else there. I wanted to quickly chat about like calf strains. Like people usually know if they have a calf strain, it's not often something a condition that's misdiagnosed, but mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just wanted to touch on what they might look like, what they might present with if they come to your clinic, just so the listener could be like, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure this is a calf strain and maybe discuss if there's something that might be missed, like a differential diagnosis. Um, Anyone want to start off with this one? Yeah, I think the number one thing that I see in my runners when they come into the clinic um, is they'll say, you know, it started off as tightness in my calf or it started off as tightness in my Achilles. And then it kind of grew from there. Maybe there's a sharp pain in the calf or in the Achilles. Maybe there's swelling in the area. Um, but I think all those three symptoms, um, especially that tightness, which is something that runners tend to ignore for some reason, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, it started the first few minutes of my run and it was tight, but then it got better. So I'm fine. You know, it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's still something to address just because there's a little bit of tightness. If it's just during one run, that's probably fine and you never feel it again. But if it's consistently every single run, your calf gets tight in the first five minutes, that's a, that's a pretty good symptom that you know something's going on there and you should probably get it checked out. Um, Neil, anything to add with that? Yeah, I agree with that. I think with calf strains and more repetitive type of issues or in chronic conditions, I often take like a global approach with runners. Mm -hmm. So in those cases, I'll often screen their entire kinetic chain from top to bottom or from bottom to top, depending on their subjective. Mm -hmm. Because um, like I'll often find that it's it's not usually the soft tissue that that keeps getting inflamed or and acute, but rather another structure above or below the issue. So like an example for calf strains, I often find people with um, concurrent like lack of hip extension and internal rotation where instead these runners are trying to propel themselves forward with more ankle push off as opposed to hip or glute uh, push off, therefore irritating their calf a little bit more so. Yeah, or another, that's a really yeah, good point. Yeah. Another example could be something below the joint such as like uh, lack of first ray uh, mobility. So someone who lacks that mobility would then try to push off a little bit further through their ankle joint. And I often find it's with these cases, it's uh, the calf is more or less like that screaming victim, but it's the hip or the first toe. That's like the silent culprit that you have to like screen out. Good point. So uh, Yeah. I always look at the, the joints above and below. I think people need to realize that, yes, the calf is one of the main muscle groups for propulsion, for moving you forward. I think it's like 75% of the calf yeah. complex is producing that. But mm-hmm. 
like Neil was saying, there's some strategies or some tightness or stiffness or imbalance somewhere that can increase that number if you're not um, producing the propulsion required from the hips then that 75% that's usually for the calf can turn into 80 to 85% and that's going to overload you um, too much or put you more susceptible to these calf strains. And mm-hmm. Victoria, I'm glad you touched on that that early signs of calf soreness and tightness because that has been reported in the literature to be a very common um, presentation. It's just people just like, I don't know, it's just um, it might be if they've slightly overloaded or if they're not respecting recovery enough, but for whatever reason they're like, yeah, before this actual calf strain, I did notice like a, a week or two of uh, increasing tightness. And so you just need to, if that happens, that's like an early warning sign. We would love early warning signs for a lot of injuries. But, um, yeah, just re- learn to respect the body and listen to the body. If it's telling you that there's calf tightness, then uh, start to uh, start to respect the the adaptation phase. If they're, Especially if you're a bit older. I know when I very first started running, I had so much calf tightness, but it was just me. I'm usually a four-foot runner, and I just just started running. So it was just like a adaptation phase, but I was just constantly tight through both calves. But, yeah, if you're starting to notice that and you, it's something a bit new and you've had it for a couple of weeks, then definitely you need to respect that. Yeah. Good. Good. I don't think I need to touch on anything else. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. I usually like what when it comes to the clinical presentation, um, mm-hmm. like them to just do some hopping and see what their uh, propulsion's like, see what their yeah. stiffness is like and all that kind of thing, depending what stage they're at. If they're a really sore calf strain, I wouldn't get them hopping day one. But um, when they're getting better, it's always nice to have a look to see how they're hopping, what their strategy is like. I think differential diagnosis-wise, mm-hmm. um, there can be some like plantaris ruptures, but mm-hmm. I think that's... The same mechanism of a calf strain, but um, can sometimes, if it's like complete rupture, might get the sensation of like a pop, like people feel like they've been kicked in the back of the leg, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, just the really, really like rare occurrences of DVTs, so the deep vein thrombosis, <laughs> is uh, something we, we always need to be in mind of. But yeah, like I said, extremely rare. And I, I listen to a lot of um, Kevin Liebethal. Uh, he has a lot of research around calf strains and loves talking about that. And he talked about a um, a mate of his who went on a long, long haul flight. And uh, it was like maybe five days after that, he went for a couple of runs after his flight and felt okay. And then I think it was like his second or third run started to get a bit of calf soreness. He's like, oh, I don't know what that is. And then he was running with Kevin like on his third run. He's like, oh, I feel like I shouldn't really run today. I was really slow. Um, my calf's getting a bit sore and then Kevin had a look at it and it's like red and it's a little bit swollen compared to the other side. It's like, Oh Jesus. (laughs) Um, So so for the audience who's not not really familiar, like DVT is like almost like a blood clot and can be, it's very, very serious and Mm -hmm. can present like increasing calf tightness when you're walking or when you're running. Um, But Mm -hmm. then often as it develops is there's like global like redness and hot kind of sensations and, swelling around the entire calf and foot which isn't typical of a calf strain so if Mm -hmm. you're starting to get that it's extremely rare but if you're starting to get that 
you need to get it medically assessed straight away. Mm-hmm. Anything to add with that, guys? With that bleak kind of topic? <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely agree. Check, get it checked out. Yeah, <laughs> I completely agree with you. I mean, it, it, it is important to note that it is quite rare, but especially like you mentioned, you know, if you had recently been on a flight, you know, if mm-hmm. you recently had surgery, maybe even in another area of the body and you're just kind of getting back to things, it's definitely something to consider, but it is very rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, I think I already touched on this anyway, because I, I put down as a topic, like, why is this happening? What's what's occurring there? Um, we kind of already touched on there's decreased, like, muscle mass. There's decreased um, propulsion. Like, there's a propulsion deficit. There's mm-hmm. um, poor tendon stiffness as you get older. There's obviously a spike mm-hmm. in training load. Um, starting with you, Victoria, anything we can add to, to this topic? Yeah, I mean, um, if I understood the question correctly, it's mainly just, you know, what what it presents like and, and kind of what leads to it. But I think the one of the main things I see in my in my runners is really their calf's just weak. You know, it's they haven't Definitely. loaded the calf appropriately. They're not doing the appropriate exercise to load the calf. And like Neil said, it could be the hip, it could be the first ray, but something it's sometimes most of the time it's just as simple as your calf's weak, you know, it's not not able to handle the load that you're asking it to with every single step. So just like you mentioned, Brody, with your, you know, hop test, that's definitely something I do, but something even a little bit more simple is just testing their heel raise strength. So I'll have them do as many single leg heel raises they can on each side. And if it's under 25, under 30 reps in a row, it's not strong enough, you know, especially if you're running, over a mile, over two miles, which is a thousand steps a mile. So every single step you're asking to load that calf. What did we say? You know, it, it, it gives a lot of, of, it requires a lot of strength to push off. Um, and if it's weak, that's, that's a huge predictor for developing a calf strain. Did I answer that correctly, Brody? You've done well. How about you, Neil? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I, I defer back to that test as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. How much is the capacity within that muscle uh, structure itself to be able to de- withstand the demands of that sport? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's extremely demanding through the calf and people don't realize, but you know, you need to be strong to run and mm-hmm. the, the calf, especially there's, we're looking at strength and we're looking at power. So if you're doing like, uh, well, endurance as well, if you're doing calf raises and seeing how many calf raises you can do body weight, that's mm-hmm. tend to be around the endurance um, side of things if you yeah. load it up to one or one and a half times your body weight and seeing if you can get a 10 rep max mm-hmm. that's looking at some really slow strength and then if you're doing hopping if you're doing jumping landing uh, like a vertical jump a horizontal jump for, for distance then you're looking at this power and you kind of need to be ticking all the boxes for a runner I think uh, yeah. you as long as you're addressing all of those components and you're ticking the box of all those components you really shouldn't have much of a problem as long as you um a training within your adaptation zone and not doing huge spikes in training. Um, But in terms of like, um, I've touched on this a little bit, but as you get older, there's a lot of studies to like have cross-sectional areas of the calf and see not only is the muscle getting smaller, but there's also a lot of like fatty infiltration, like the, the muscle density is becoming less and less. And so that's why it's so important that as you do get older, that you do need to start ticking all these boxes mm-hmm. and starting to preserve and regain as much strength as you can. And there's there'll become certain, like you said, it's a, it's a weakness and 
recognize if there is moments in your training when you are a bit deconditioned you might go on holidays for a couple of weeks you might um just be taking some time off in between races or just like for some reason you've lost motivation for a month or so when you start returning you need to really be careful you need to really respect that you need to build back up to where you were because if you're you're addressing like a weakened muscle with rest and more weakness Mm -hmm. and then if you Uh decide to do a hill or do a sprint session or do a long session that's um beyond your capacity really try and respect that um the demand for the calves is so so high and yeah you do need to slowly ease back into it let the the body adapt and just be really careful um anything else we need to touch on before we talk about um early management uh, no, I think you did a really good job of explaining it. I love that you mentioned that as as you get older, you know, you, you just you lose a little bit of that of that strength, just even in a way that you wouldn't expect. So building on that on those heel raises, working on those jumping exercises, that's what's really going to be kind of the next step. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, so we've got the first uh, what what someone might present with and sort of some tests that we might do if they're in clinic. Um, let's start with you, Neil. Like if someone comes in with a calf strain, uh, what do you like to do with them management-wise, treatment-wise for the first day or two? Yeah, a lot of it depends on on what their starting point is. Um, so if it is, if depending on the calf strain, whether what grade it is, uh, someone with a grade three completely ruptured calf strain, they probably won't have that much uh, some, uh, pain or I guess symptoms, but they'll have the lack of the motion and the lack of ability to activate. Um, but typically in those first, like one to two days for grades one, one and twos, uh, like your whole price method, protect, rest, ice, compress, elevate, um, and then get into small, uh, gentle ranges of motion through the ankle. Cool. Anything to add, Victoria? Um, yeah, I, I actually go right into, I mean, and, and this is considering, like you said, Neil, the grade one, grade two, someone mm-hmm. who is like, oh, I, I ran, you know, three days ago and I've kind of, kind of been feeling it still. I'll actually start them out with some pretty low level balance exercises, um, just because I think the foot and ankle are just so closely related. And I think that developing that foot strength and especially with single leg balance, you know, which is something that's so important for runners, um, kind of almost isometrically engaging the muscles in a way that's not going to irritate the calf Uh in any way. Um, And also just start to strengthen, um, especially if the main issue is is a weakness considering, you know, assuming that you've done all of your assessment beforehand, um, I will start them right away with some low level strength, um, which usually is just, you know, a single leg balance exercise, maybe even a double leg heel raise if that's not irritating. Um, and, and I'll do that right off the bat. I don't know about you, Brody. What do you think? Yeah. Well, my take, um, is exactly what you guys are saying. I, I use the acronym, it's peace and love, if you guys have heard that. So it's it's yeah. a very long one, but the, it's like, um, see if I can get this, protection, education, avoid anti-inflammations, um, then compress and elevate. So that's like the, the day one, day two, if needed, it's kind mm-hmm. of like the reduce inflammation or just starting to calm down um, pain mm-hmm. and just settle, settle all of that down. Sometimes that's not even necessary, but uh, if it is tending to be a great tour, if it is quite irritated, then that can be the case, but only for a day or two. And then in that peace and love acronym, you've got love, which is load, uh, optimism, vascularization, and what's the e? uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. And 
that's that needs to be done as soon as you're able to and it's up to like us the the physios to start Mm. to recognize when that step is because it can often be a lot earlier than the runner thinks it should be and we need to educate them and say okay it's actually going to recover quicker faster you're going to um start to heal a lot faster if we start loading it up within the right parameters within the right adaptation zone and it could just be just a really slow um calf raise double leg calf raise from the floor uh that's where we might start and we just build up from there build up strength build up speed and uh that's often the best sign for recovery as soon as we can and if you explain it that way and say it's going to get you running um sooner then they're usually on board yeah (laughs) i definitely agree yeah uh anything to add before we talk into like management beyond this one or two days Mm -mm, i think that was perfect summary yeah, I think um, back to Neil's point, you just need to determine where their starting point is and take it from there. It could be more severe than others. It, you just need to find where they fit on that spectrum of severity and symptoms and use your clinical judgment just to uh, determine that starting point. So past that uh, inflammatory acute phase, past that one to two day phase, we're into the rehab, I guess you could call it, and want to make sure that we're ticking all these boxes uh, so Victoria, I might start with you. What what yeah. do we do uh, as we're progressing through our management? Yeah, uh, kind of going off of what I mentioned earlier in terms of starting already with that with those strengthening exercises. Um, and like we've mentioned before, it all depends on the assessment. Exactly what Neil said. If I find that they're lacking hip extension, that's something that I'm working on. Um, if I find something in their gait pattern, if I was able to do a running assessment with them you know, working on any imbalances there, but talking specifically about uh, the foot and the ankle, um, I just continue to progress them with the loads that they're able to tolerate. So from a double leg heel raise into maybe an eccentric heel raise, which for those listening is really just raising up on both feet, lowering with one. And that's going to start to stimulate that muscle strength in a way that's not really going to, or at least I found doesn't really irritate um, the calf that much if you're ready for that next step. Um, from that, you know, going right into single leg heel raises as, as soon as they can tolerate it um, and just continue continuing to build the strength there. Uh, that's a really generalized way of explaining it. Obviously, every single person is different and it's tough to kind of create a treatment plan uh, for for, you know, a, a, you know, a patient that doesn't actually exist. Yeah. I hope that helps. And Neil, if you want to add on to that, definitely. Yeah, I love that. I like that too. I, I also start with those bilateral concentrics, bilateral eccentrics, and then as soon as they tolerate into those unilaterals, uh, and then into something a little bit more uh, dynamic isometrically, like tiptoe walking, and then slight bounds, etc. Yeah, cool. And the I think what what's really uh, will be really important that we identify is the like this starting point where we go from double leg calf raise, single leg mm-hmm. calf raise, walking on toes, eccentric stuff to getting to some sort of requirements for running and like mm. bridging the gap there. And if, if the runner was to realize when they come in and let's just say they're doing double leg calf raises, that's mm. looking at like your calves working at half your body weight because you're distributing uh-huh. that load if you're doing single leg calf raise then you're doing the load of one times your body weight mm-hmm. and then we look at what the evidence shows what the the demands of the calf when you are running the 
like the gastrox part of the calf is two to three times your body weight. And then your uh, soleus, your soleus is like up to six to eight times your body weight, depending on what speed you're going at, which is enormous. And so (laughs) every time you land on the ground and every time you push off, that muscle is producing six to eight times your body weight in load, in force. And we really need to get the muscle strong enough to withstand that. And so that's often with this topic today, like especially for those who are going through recurrent calf strains, the they have a calf strain, they get better, they do their their strengthening exercises, they go back to running, there's another calf strain, and then the mm-hmm. cycle repeats itself. Mm-hmm. There might be a missing gap in their rehab and it might just be we need to address like enough strength in order to rebound or enough to bridge that missing gap between propulsion between like plyometrics between power kind of stuff which is why i really like the hopping and i think every interview i do i do um state the importance of hopping because it can tell you a lot if you just um if you're a runner now you're listening to this and you think you might want to do a bit of an assessment just have a look at yourself in the mirror like stand on one leg and just do some continuous hops on one side 10 to 15 times and just recognize how confident you feel, how high up your um, your foot is getting off the ground, what your strategy is like, what the hips are looking like. You should actually be quite a rigid, um, stiff kind of component. Mm-hmm. That's what we really like to see with runners. We want to see stiffness. Uh, we don't want to see a lot of up and down when you hit the ground and the knee bends and the hip sags and then you come back up. It shouldn't be like that. It should be a nice quick spring, a nice efficient spring. And then if you do that on your opposite side, where it's the unaffected side and just see if it feels any different, are you noticing you feel more confident or you have more power or there is more stiffness on that leg? Because that might um, identify an imbalance somewhere. And if you can't hop on one side, you definitely shouldn't be running because it's just a series of hops one side to the other. And if you can't, if you're noticing an imbalance from one side to the other, then it's going to be some sort of um, compensatory strategy when you start running. Um, So any ideas on exercise we could do to try and bridge that gap? Anything that you guys like using? Uh, Specifically bridging the gap between, you mean like a heel raise, single leg heel raise to hopping? Yeah, well, I think, I think, yeah, we'll start with that because I I do think that the majority of runners, they do a lot of research on Google and they ask Facebook groups and they read blogs and things like that. And they think single leg calf raises are the answer and they do enough single leg calf raises and then (laughs) start running again. Um, Can we help these guys out? Absolutely. Uh, I think I just want to touch up quickly um, on what you mentioned there with the soleus. I think that's a really, really important point. And usually, again, just like something that's completely not looked at, especially for people who are just Googling and seeing, oh, I just need to do heel raises. The seated heel raises that work that, you know, your other calf muscle, the soleus, the the most important in, in most physios' opinions, um, I think that that is usually forgotten. So making sure that you're addressing not only the, the, the standing heel raise, but the seated heel raise which, with enough load and also just challenging it endurance-wise. So not just lifting up and bringing your heel back down, but actually holding up your heel for one minute, two minutes at a time. I think that can be challenging enough. And, and it's also something to, to address that most people don't. Um, yeah. Before of- you go on, Victoria, I might just yeah. explain. I might explain to the listener what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. 
with the calf, there's two main muscle components within the calf. It's not just one muscle. One is the gastrocnemius and one is the soleus. And it's the soleus which uh, produces most of the force. It's like the the biggest one when it comes to running. It's bigger in cross-sectional area. It's the one deepest to the two. And uh, it's pretty much like the essential one that you need for running. It's the more important one that you need for running. And this can be strained as well as the gastrocnemius. And um, what Victoria is alluding to is when people Google, they say, do calf raises, it will get your calves stronger. And people say yes. And so mm-hmm. what people do is they're doing calf raises with a, a straight knee, which is the very the most common, but that actually biases the other muscle. It biases the gastrocnemius, which doesn't target the soleus as much. And what you're doing when you're running is you're running with a slightly bent knee, which kind of um, biases a little bit more towards the soleus and that, like we said before, it's the soleus that's producing six to eight times your body weight when you're running. And so that's the muscle we really need to, not prioritize, but we really need to um, like recognize its importance. And when yeah. people look on Google and say, oh yeah, I'll just do some single leg calf raises and they do their straight leg single leg calf raise, you're not really targeting that soleus muscle and mm-hmm. that can almost be your demise and uh, a missed piece when it comes to your rehab. So um I think everyone's caught up now, so we could probably continue. <laughs> that was great. Uh, yeah, so I think from there, you know, if you're kind of bridging the gap between your standing exercises versus hopping, um, I really start kind of similarly to what we described before is I start with double leg hops, um, you know, just making sure that you can adequately jump up and land on two feet, which if you're thinking, oh, you know, that's something that sounds really hard, I can't do a jump squat, or I can't hop and land. It's like, then how do you expect yourself to go out and jump from one foot to the other foot with, you know, one and a half times your body weight on each leg. So I I think that's kind of a funny thing that I find with my patients, at least is when I ask them to do 10 jump squats, they're like, nah, that looks hard. I can't do that. That's ridiculous. And I'm like, you just ran three miles the other day. And it it doesn't really add up. So you have to learn how to jump and land on both feet before even addressing the single leg hops that we were talking about before. I don't know, Neil, if you you find something different with that. Yeah, I think it's it's really similar too. Like, yeah, can you land on both feet? And then can you do the same thing for a distance, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether forward, sideways, or even uh, try to challenge it um, in different other planes of motion? Mm Mm-hmm. I might add in one other thing because I do exactly yeah. the same. I go from single leg calf raises, uh, I, I build up the strength there and then see, okay, what's their um, skipping like? So just double leg jumping and seeing if they can do that for, you know, three lots of 30 seconds and then just build up that. And then once I've done that, I um, hold back on the dosage, I reduce the dosage and then go to single leg and take it from there and just see how it is. But sometimes with really recurrent calf strains and they've lost a bit of confidence or they've lost a bit of power sometimes getting from single leg calf raises to double leg jumping is a bit too much of a gap Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really have i don't see it too often but sometimes if it is for a particular person if that is a bit of a gap you can uh do some tempo calf raises so if they're still doing their single leg calf raises and they're going up two seconds down two seconds up two seconds or whatever um They'll get to a point if you use a metronome where you're doing it every second, fantastic, but then you're going up to maybe 
70 beats per mm-hmm. second. You're going up one beat, down one beat, and then maybe progress to 80, 90 beats per second. And they'll get to a point where they have to just slightly bounce on that calf and they're not leaving uh-huh. the ground. They're, not, um, they're still doing their calf raises, but it will get to a tick, 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 tick where they actually have to start like um, producing a little bit of power in order to recoil the the calf and produce a little bit of force. And that can, if you're doing that on a single leg calf raise, and if you're you can try it yourself with a metronome at home, if you do that at a at a faster beat per second, you'll notice the calf is working a lot harder. The demand is a lot harder. And what it's doing is just slowly introducing more power, and that can be a little bit of a bridge between the single leg calf raises and the double leg jumping because if you're doing that um, at quite an intense tempo, then you shouldn't have a problem then going to double leg but doing Mm -hmm. some some jumps. So um, if there is someone who has really recurrent calf strains and they're really struggling with reintroducing power, that can be a really nice step. Um, I wanted to spend a little bit more time on this particular area because I think this is where the audience um, can get really stuck. And I wanted to mention something along the lines of maybe like a running assessment or footwear or um, something that we can focus on when it comes to our rehab. uh, I don't know, do, do you guys see or work with much footwear or prescribing different types of shoes when it comes to this recurrent condition? Absolutely. Uh, I think it plays a big part, though, probably not as big as, as people kind of expect. Um, I hear a lot of a lot of my patients, my clients saying, oh, it must be my shoes. I'm just going to change my shoes <laughs> sometimes, you know, uh, but most of the times it's not. But the one thing that I do see is, you know, if you're in a less supportive shoe, uh, maybe it increases the demand on the calf, maybe. Um, and if you're in a more supportive shoe, maybe decreases the demand of the calf. That being said, I don't think shoes play that much unless you're in a really uncomfortable shoe that's really not fit for you. Um, I don't think it plays as much of a role as as people ne- necessarily think. Um, that's just me. I, I know that a lot of people think differently. Um, but Neil, how about you? Yeah, I, I agree with you too, Vicky, that a lot of it that on what I look at is comfort of a shoe because um, there's a lot of bigger things to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't spend too much time um, assessing that, uh, but it depends. Um, if there is something else underlying that needs to be addressed related to shoe issues, such as yeah, other joints within the foot or other musculature, such as plantar fasciitis, et cetera, then yeah, but for calf strains, not necessarily. Yeah, I also on what I see. The one thing that I do want to mention too is I really recommend people have different types of shoes that they're running in. They're not just running in the same shoe every single time. Um, I think what that does is it doesn't allow a your foot to get super lazy if you're in a very supportive shoe, um, and b it allows your foot to kind of adjust to different scenarios and hopefully mm-hmm. therefore. Um, I don't know, maybe strengthening a little bit. I don't know what that what that really does, but I I highly recommend you know people have different shoes that they're that they're running in, and they're not just running in the same shoe every single time. That also being said, if someone comes in with a calf strain and they're wearing you know four year old pair of running shoes, uh, 
you gotta get a new shoe, you know, <laughs> dress at that point. But, um, it, it, you know, if they, if they just bought the new pair of shoes, that could also be an issue is, is they just started running in a new pair and maybe it's that's uncomfortable for them. Uh, otherwise I don't think I take it into that much of a, in a, that much of an account. I think I take strengthening and looking at the overall, you know, up the joint and down the joint, what you mentioned, Neil, before, I think that's more important. Yeah, totally. Um, if I summarize, it's like, okay, other shoes, the cause of the calf strain, highly unlikely unless there's been some sort of acute change and acute change being like maybe the type of running shoe because we know that if someone's tending towards more of a minimalist shoe, which has offers less support, maybe um, the, it might be a five to zero mil heel drop, uh, the calf, the demand of the calf is a lot greater than someone who is in like a hocker or like something on the maximalist side. So unless there is an acute change and you've changed the type of shoe, that might be a spike to cause a calf strain. But rarely is it the um, is it the cause of the calf strain. It's usually the loads or it's usually like a strength deficit like we were um, perfectly laying out before. When it comes to having the calf strain, and if there's anything we can do rehab-wise to manipulate shoes, um, I talked to J.F. Escoulier around shoe prescription on um, plantar fasciitis, and he had a really nice summary, which it's very similar for a calf strain. And he's kind of like, okay, when it comes to a rehab approach, the like the supportive kind of high heel raise, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff can be quite nice to temporarily offload the calf while you're yeah. slowly get back into it. And that's where Victoria's point of having mm-hmm. some different options for running shoes can be really, really perfect to uh, develop into your strategy. And the protective mechanism of a shoe can be nice to offload the calf temporarily while you're building up your mileage or just seeing how you go. So you might try a high heel raise, you might try supportive shoes and seeing how you go 1K on, 1K off um, for 10 minutes and then have that as your starting point and then build up your mileage uh, paying attention to symptoms. And once you uh, have the confidence that you can start negotiating that sort of dosage, maybe slowly introduce your normal traditional shoe or maybe a lighter, more minimalist type of shoe, uh, that could be a really nice way of implementing shoes when it comes to having calf strain in those early management phases. But that's the rehab approach. When it comes to the preventative approach, sometimes it's nice to build up towards more of a minimalist. If you're feeling like you're um, starting to, I don't know, you wanted to develop your calves a little bit more and become a bit more resilient around the calf Achilles plantar fasciitis, sometimes it's nice to go away from the maximalist type of shoe and slowly tend towards more the traditional shoe and then more towards the minimalist side of things because that's going to naturally build up your cuff anyway and when we're talking about ticking all those boxes ticking endurance strength power it's slowly going to um, build up your calf your achilles your plantar fasciitis or your plantar fascia and build up those loads really gradually to help become more resilient so yeah it's you're taking you're taking on the on that spectrum on that protective supportive side and on that minimalist side you take two different directions when it comes to early management rehab and then um, on the other side when it comes to prevention and building up strength yeah if i can jump in real quick and just kind of uh mention a point i think it's the the con the concept of strength is protective 
right? So we've mentioned a couple times the supportive shoe. Yes, for someone might be like, oh yeah, that sounds great. That's going to protect my calf. It actually might also just make your foot a little bit more lazy, which then can have you more at risk for calf, you know, irritations and calf injuries. Um, and so it's that idea of once you're ready for it, uh, maybe then dropping down into more minimalist shoes so that you can maintain that strength versus just always getting the support from the shoe and having your foot do nothing. Sorry, I just wanted to add that in. I felt like it was needed. You know, I needed to jump. Absolutely. In. <laughs> Sorry for cutting. No, no, totally needed. And I think that can be said for a lot of yeah. a lot of injuries and yeah, people yeah. get on that protective side for way too long and they say, oh, this helped my knee pain. Let me do more of that. And then mm. as soon as the knee pain comes back, oh, let me go um, you know, double down on that protective sort of thing because that helped me in the past. And then you're essentially deloading that structure more and more and more. And as a result, yeah. getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And then it's harder to to combat. I see that a lot with plantar fasciitis. I see it a lot with calf strains and um, people yeah. who tend towards, because we're talking about becoming more resilient and like ticking that strength, endurance, power boxes. And what you're doing is you're slowly unticking all those boxes as you, um, as that's your like approach is protect, mm -hmm. protect, protect. Um, mm -hmm. It might make you feel better in the short term, but it's going to come back um, with interest. So yeah, exactly. very, very good point. Um, as we start finishing up here, I wanted to try and come up with a few prevention strategies and you guys are knocking this out of the park. So I think we might start with Victoria, then move on to Neil and see if we can combine a couple of um, dot points. And then if there's anything that um, I might want to chime in at the end, then uh, we'll do that. So let's take yeah. away with some preventative strategies. Preventative strategies. Strength, strength, strength. <laughs> yes, it's done. Strength. I mean, <laughs> there's not much more to say. I feel like we've we mentioned that a couple times over and over, but it we can't hammer it home enough because it is so important. And just because you feel like you might be managing it um, well for the interim, uh, doesn't mean that, you know, your body changes as you get older, you might have to implement a couple more, a couple more challenging exercises uh, as you get older, just to maintain the resiliency of the muscles that that get that amount of load when we're running. And the just the point that we've hammered home every time is the calf complex, the gastrocnemius the soleus work together and are pro it if not the most, probably not the most important because every single muscle is important in your body when you're running, but a very important um, system in your body specifically for runners. And we can't stress that enough. So strength is number one for me in terms of prevention. <laughs> Have a you, Neil. Yes, I love that. On top of strength, also <laughs> include your dynamic mobility. Because mm -hmm. as, as much as you could... Uh, power through something you also have to have the range for it so control that range cool what might, what might that look like neil if someone's not familiar with dynamic mobility yeah so dynamic stretching um part of it too is is respecting a warm-up as you get into runs uh whether that's lunges to different types of skips or even just focusing on singular joints um such as controlled articular ranges of motion um, movement like that, stuff that are sports specific so that you are ready for running. Yeah, totally agree. I think, um, when it comes to what you allude to Victoria, the strength kind of side of things, a lot of, 
runners don't like going to the gym. They don't like doing their strength. And when they do their strength, they're like, okay, all right, I'll do my single leg calf raises a couple of times a week and I'll, I'll be good. But if you haven't had a calf strain in the past, it doesn't necessarily need to be high on the priority to do some really heavy calf raises. But as soon as you become older or as soon as you've had a calf strain in the past, you need to start prioritizing it more and more like that. Generic strengthening, generic strength and conditioning should be high for any runner anyway, but where on the priority list it sits, um, you do need to get into the gym if you are older and you want to continue having a running career. You do need to start doing some power work. You do need to start doing some slow, heavy stuff. You do need to get into the gym because body weight just won't cut it. And yeah, it does need to be um, quite heavy. Uh, obviously, um, within the right parameters, you need to slowly build up. Don't just dive straight into a heavy yeah. car race because that's more dangerous than not. Um, but have the right guidance and start implementing that. And like you touched on, Neil, before, like addressing the whole kinetic chain, make sure that, you know, your hips are strong, yeah, your knees are strong because that's going to help the calves moving forward anyway to dissipate the propulsion kind of load. That's a really nice preventative strategy i i feel like i really shouldn't be saying this because we should know already by now but just um spikes in load definitely speed definitely heels uphills it's going to just spike the demand through achilles and calf so recognize the importance of that um like i said at the start respecting recovery as a preventative strategy if you are 50 years old you will have to take longer to recover it's just the way life is compared to uh, um, a 20 year old you do need to take an extra day off because science does show that like regenerating the tendon synthesis, regenerating muscle, mm-hmm. um, it does just take longer. I'm sorry. It just happens. <laughs> and <laughs> if you don't respect that, then the body's going to start rebounding and you're going to start getting these. Um, I think that was it. Res- respect the recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Early signs and symptoms, preventative strategy, that that early stiffness and early tightness that um, Victoria said at the start like that's like that's perfect we have a a warning sign that won't lead to a calf strain if these arise and you recognize and interpret it properly and make the appropriate adjustments the like that's perfect um cool i reckon that's really nice to sum everything up um thanks guys for sharing the load for me and so i don't have to do a whole episode talking just by myself (laughs) (laughs) exactly what i was gonna (laughs) to mention so if uh people want to learn more about you i think victoria we'll start with you um what's yeah. your instagram handle and um talk about like the content that you produce yeah so my instagram handle is at train smart run strong um i just produce a lot of exercises for runners um hopefully some motivational content on there as well um just really anything running uh, you can go and find there. I also have a website, um, trainsmartrunstrong.com. So check me out there. And yeah, Neil? Yeah, you'll find me on Instagram. I don't post as much uh, stuff <laughs> as opposed to it being lifestyle related. It's still great. But yeah, find us on Running PT's podcast, um, yeah. Apple, Spotify. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. pleasure to have yeah. us on. Thank you. Yeah. Bro. And Neil, I think people care about your your daily happenings. So uh, <laughs> I care about maybe your if you job. want to share that every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, it's dr.neilgintu uh, on Instagram. Cool. Thanks for coming on, guys. We um, we covered a lot. It's, it's all just like jam-packed full of value. So um, really appreciate the time.
thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.